1: So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at cerebral.com/slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
2: The opinion line on Cork's 96FM. Hear
3: the full show on our app by podcast or on 96fm.ie
2: Connecting to the big show.
3: In three, two, one.
4: We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget
5: you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy.
4: These women need to get over themselves.
2: We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we
3: just talk? Call 1850-715-996.
2: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
3: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: The lines are live. Let's
3: kickstart the conversation.
2: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: On Cork's 96fm. (laughs) Three weeks from today,
6: we will be going jazzing. Jazz festival lineup is out. There will be 60 pubs on the jazz trail. Three weeks today, we'll be off jazzing. But lots to do between this and that. What are you doing this weekend? I know that I've got tickets for myself and the boy for James Bond for half three Sunday off to Man Point for the big screen, the popcorn and the, 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 the Coca-Cola and the jellies and we'll just be there like two big kids. Well, he is a big kid. I'm an even bigger kid. That's our plan. Sunday, half three going to see James Bond. can absolutely just simply cannot wait. And of course tonight there's a small matter of uh, Imro Awards. Um, I, I don't know whether, we're all at home watching this. This is a, a virtual event Normally it's a great night out at the Lyreth Hotel in Kilkenny But not tonight, we're all watching it from home So whether or not some people will get done up in the fancy frock I don't know if Fiona's planning to do the full frock tonight in the front room And she's sitting with her one glass of wine in the night I don't know, we'll check that up later on So a lot to do, it being a Friday But let's start with the serious stuff Because there's a lot of it And it's been a very, very busy news week And a very, very upsetting news week Um, of course, particularly with the Leona uh, Birmingham story uh, on uh, Tuesday night's uh, Primetime Investigates, the story of baby Lee. And, of course, uh, Leona did an extensive interview with us here on Wednesday uh, talking about the pain that herself and and her partner and, of course, uh, baby Lee's little brother um, are are going through and, and went through in the last year and a bit and at a point in that interview I I asked her who could help and how. Is there anything that any politician could do for you and Len and Lewis and Lee
3: Um, I think just to push
7: the the hospital to finalise this report, to give us the answers um, and to make sure this never ever happens again, to make sure nothing even like this happens again, to make sure there's enough support for these grieving families out there,
8: to make sure there's more, I suppose, stricter Laws in place. I mean, it's such a heartbreaking thing yeah. to go through, but to go through all this again afterwards,
7: I don't want anyone at okay. all to have to go through this. That That's one of the most important things, I think, that we do stop this. Yeah. And now, we're not in another 20 years, do we have another breaking news that has happened again. We can't allow that to
9: happen.
6: Came up yesterday in the Doyle, Health Minister Stephen Donnelly.
9: I cannot begin to imagine the hurt that has been caused to the 18 families affected these families have already been through an unimaginable tragedy of having lost a beloved child and it is unacceptable that their child's organs were disposed of in this way this simply should not have happened i do want to acknowledge the bravery of the couple who spoke about their experience and heartbreak on tuesday night's program i want to commend them for their primary concern that other families do not have to go through what they went through. I can tell you that the health service is absolutely committed to ensuring that what happened in Cork University Hospital does not happen again.
6: Now on Wednesday I also said that, you know, and Leona agreed with me, somebody signed off on this, somebody signed a piece of paper, wrote an email, put a minute in a meeting, somebody's name is attached to this. I was asking the question... Why is that person still in a job? And at the end of the investigation, what will happen to them? Minister Donnelly gave an update on where things stand with regards to the
9: investigation. The HSE standards for post-mortem examination services, which were published in 2012, uh, clearly require that organs are to be buried or cremated. Furthermore, Cork University Hospital has advised that its own policy clearly states that all perinatal organs, where the parent's choice is for disposal by the hospital, are to be buried. That did not occur. Instead, the organs were transported to Belgium for incineration. This was not in accordance with HSE standards, and it was not in accordance with hospital policy, and it is not acceptable.
6: There's nothing in that as regards finding the individual responsible or what might happen. Now, a number of TDs also spoke uh, during that debate, including Sinn Féin's Thomas Gould, uh, Holly Cairns of the Social Democrats, Mick Barry of Solidarity, and Pat Buckley of Sinn Féin, who joins me. Pat, good morning.
10: Good morning, sir. How are you? Good. Pat, I noticed watching
6: the debate back, you yourself became a little bit emotional at times.
10: Yeah, it, it actually only hit me when I was in the chamber yesterday evening. Um, it's 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 nearly 20 years ago now, but uh, I'm lucky to have a number of best friends. But one of them had lost a son. Uh, j- just a, a basic, uh, I suppose, how would I put it? A cock-up from the system. Mm. That child was born fine and healthy, but with the procedures that followed a day or two later that fine lovely child died and my lasting memory of that was to put that little boy into a, a coffin in St. Finbar's yeah. church and you know you say you know, have, have they ever learned from their mistakes and that's what I'm afraid of because um, from what I've seen even from the they put in a, an additional 200 million there I think it was in the June early July mm into the HSE for compensation cases, basically. Mm. Mm. So that's where my fear is. Like, It's okay to make a mistake. Keep doing it. We'll keep covering it with the money. Mm. I think it's absolutely shocking. It's it's very
6: clear from what uh, Minister Donnelly said there in the House that since 2012, the rules are as clear as crystal. Now, they're rules and they are guidelines. They are not, I don't believe, in law just yet. They should be if they're not. But the point I was making before I brought you in, and I said it on Wednesday, and Leona was saying it uh, on Wednesday too, following the the, the round of media interviews she did, somebody somewhere put their name to this, whether they signed a letter, wrote an email, stamped an invoice, even minuted something into a meeting. Uh, There's a name attached to this, so we need to know who that person is, and Pat, I'm, 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 I'm going to be very biased here anyway, why is that person still in a job?
10: No, and, and you're right, I mean, it has been an issue when I got first electives in the first all term here, dealing on with my portfolio at the time of mental health. When you approach the HSE, no matter what correspondence you got, there was never a name on the bottom of the letter. Now, that has changed, thankfully, because we constantly raised it. There has to be a name. On, and you're right, whoever signs off on anything has to be accountable and responsible for it. Now, I do remember... The minister's very final line in the speech, he said that these families deserve to know that the health service has learned from what had happened, so it'll never happen again. I took it in faith. I would give respect because it is a very, very sensitive subject. Leona was very, very brave. When when, When you're able to come out and tell your story, you know, it takes an awful lot of courage. But we are watching this very, very closely. I mean, we want to know what form this will take, this investigation. How will it be conducted? What's the time frame for the report? And as I said to the minister last night, I mean, we'll, we'll work together. I mean, you know, sometimes this this is a travesty that has affected families and has opened old wounds. And you have to give credit, I suppose, to the RTE team. They'll actually expose it, but it's, it's shameful that you have to go to, you know, uh, um. an investigation program to expose the Well it's
6: the, the old wounds thing that you bring up Pat, um, just here on, on Tuesday when it emerged that the program was going to be broadcast I was talking to Aoife Hegarty the, the reporter who put the package together and instantly the phones began to ring from people who remembered the last time and I spoke to Callie, uh, one of the mums Affected the last time, and she said it was like going back there again. And you think, God Almighty, not again. We cannot have a third time, and surely someone, somebody has got to be named as the individual responsible for this.
10: Yeah, and, and you're spot on. And I mean, there, there's no other way of saying that. I mean, we have to get to the bottom of this. We have to get to the bottom very, very quickly. Those families need closure on that. But we also want to know how this actually came to be because it should have never happened. And, I mean, the, the end point here is whoever is responsible for for this has to be held to account, the system has to be held to account, and there has to be a backstop put into that system that this mm-hmm. will never, ever happen again. But what my fear here, PJ, is you see over the years, and we've seen it being carried on the media, the amount of mistakes that are being made and people are not learning from it. Look, we all make mistakes. I, I'm a firm believer saying we don't make mistakes. Mistakes make you who you are. You know, and you learn from that. But, I mean, it seems to be systemic from these people within a system that it's okay to make a mistake because we can cover that and we keep doing what we're doing. That has to stop. This should have never happened. I know there's a full investigation on all the hospitals now mm. on this. Now, we're coming into the budget, but we won't let it go and I don't think other parties will either, we need to get closure for the families and the extended families of this. Mm -hmm. And uh, for once, I do believe, the Minister, that he is genuinely wants this done and done as fast as he can, but certainly we'll be watching it because, as I said, I don't know how anybody could go through that and to hear that news and have no contact at it or be rang the day before to say that. Look, we've made a mistake, but... We can't really tell you what it is at the moment, but mm. you'll see the TV tomorrow night. That's
6: Mind you, as, Le- as Leona like, said, and yes. another question I put to her on Wednesday was, okay, look, let us just imagine that they had an issue with storage. Let's put that out there, that they had an issue with storage. That's fine. If they had called her and said, Leona, we have an issue here. How do you want to go? What do you want to do? She said, I'd have taken my little boy's organs back... In a little coffin and buried them with his body.
10: They weren't even given that option. PJ, that would be common sense. That's not in their nature. You know what I mean? And you're right. And there were, there would have been plenty martyrs in the city and county, where they could have, you know, approached.
6: Lee already has a little grave. He could have his, the rest of his body could have got in there with him. Yeah. That's 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 the horrible, horrible fact at the centre. And I am personally very angry because I'm a daddy.
10: And so am I, and you're right. I mean, that poor child, like, my feeling when I heard that, right, was if that was my child in that grave, my child isn't full. It's separated, and I can never put him back together again. Well, the
6: opportunity to do so was taken from you.
10: Absolutely, and taken with the most uh, disgusting way the way that, you know, there was no empathy, there was no feeling. He
6: was treated as clinical waste. He was burned with bandages and sharps. Yeah. No,
10: it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a horrible thing These are thing the cold,
6: hard, hard facts. Vision. And, you know, and I know people are probably cringing now, listening to me. But these are the cold, hard no, facts. you're
10: right.
6: You know? Yeah, Pat, you're absolutely right. We're going to see where it goes. Everyone seems to be on the same side here. Uh, all the different parties in the doll appear to be on the same side with this. Answers are required. The answer is... Thank you, Pat. The answer is who... Who allowed this to happen? And what is being done about it? 1850, I, 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 And I mentioned him the other morning, and Callie mentioned him the other morning. The only face in my mind, his face, his lovely face, he was a lovely guy with a lovely big smile and a great sense of humour, and we'd much cracked with him over the years, both on the air and myself and others knew him off air. Frank knew him, or Fergal knew him very well, don't he? Dhoni said to me one time when we were talking about what had happened he said it'll happen again Now poor Dhoni's no longer with us Uh, so I'm going to echo his voice and it's not too many years ago he said to me PJ it'll happen again how right he was 1850-715-996 another story we've been following also came up in the doll yesterday we'll be getting to that later
11: unless the department
4: moves on this this family will have no option but to go to court
2: can
12: we just
2: talk the opinion line on court's 96
3: fm with mccarthy insurance group call them now
2: for motor,
12: home, business,
3: farm life and health insurance cmig.ie
2: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call
3: us now, 1850-715-996. On
6: Courts, 96 FM. We are going to stay with that particular story for as long as it takes to get to the bottom of it. And I'm sorry, but I won't let go of this one until something actually happens to say this will happen. Why? Here's who did it. And here's how they've paid for it, because they cannot be allowed to get away with that. If you listen to what Stephen Donnelly said in his second clip in The doll, which I'll, I'll, I'll replay because
9: he's making commitments here too. The HSE standards for post-mortem examination services, which were published in 2012, uh, clearly require that organs are to be buried or cremated. Furthermore, Cork University Hospital has advised that its own policy clearly states that all perinatal organs, where the parent's choice is for disposal by the hospital, are to be buried. That did not occur. Instead, the organs were transported to Belgium for incineration. This was not in accordance with HSE standards, and it was not in accordance with hospital policy. And it is not acceptable.
6: There are standards under which I have to do this job and Fiona has to do her job and Fergal has to do his job. There are standards that we have to conform to. And I may tell you this now, if we were as egregiously in breach of those standards as somebody was there, we wouldn't have our jobs today. So we're going to stick with that one. one, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Anna Capelis, we talked a couple of weeks ago about your stint in in Hell Week. As it turns out, I saw the video that you that you talk about. Two incredible tries, but the reactions very, very, very different. Good morning.
13: Good morning. How are you?
6: Good. Good. Let's go through it for people who didn't see the video.
13: Um. So. Yeah, just clips from um, the weekend of rugby. So last weekend, um, obviously Ireland were playing and my teammate, um, Linda and Jungang, she scored a very good try. Um, And yeah, it it was reposted by World Rugby and the comments underneath were like, that's terrible tackling, that defence is awful. Oh my God, look at the defence. One after the other, after the other, after the other no positive reaction at all from a repost of of this try being scored. And then you scroll down a little bit and you see another try that was scored on the the Men's Sevens World Series um, by a a very similar similar kind of run. Um, You know, a big ball carrier bustling through, like running down, knocking over defenders. And all of the comments underneath um, were what a run, my God, he's on fire, all these fire emojis, one after the other, after the other, after the other. So I screenshotted both of what I could see. So um, a female role player going on a run, Mm -hmm. and people can only see the negatives. And then a male rugby player going on a run, and he is a champion. Mm -hmm. So it just really struck me that, and and I reposted this, and this is what the, the tweet is about, I reposted this just to show a snapshot of how people are perceiving Women in sport, or women's rugby, and and uh, the kind of subconscious bias that's there, um, when when people look at women's sport, they're Im- in immediately thinking of the negative. But like, of course, there are going to be missed tackles when a, when a player goes on a run like that. Like, show me a world class try that doesn't have defence mistakes and defence. You're not going to get it a happens. try like
6: that unless someone misses the tackle. Absolutely.
13: A hundred percent. And that's what world-class players can achieve. They can make even world-class defenders look stupid. But the thing is, the commentary around it, like no one was talking about how good her run was, how powerful she was, how she was handing them off, like head down, running forward. But they were able to see that immediately in the men's game. So I, I, you know, I reposted this and there was a lot of reaction from it. And a lot of people, you know, saying to me, that's a really good, you know, just snapshot of it. Like in a really good example of how, People are reacting online, and I'm, I'm happy to, you know, open people's eyes to it. Maybe people don't realise that they're, you know, looking at the negatives immediately. So something like this might make someone think think twice about jumping immediately onto the negative without seeing any positive in it at all. Yeah.
6: It, it had been a, a low weekend for, for the Irish women's rugby team, obviously, with the whole failure to qualify for for the World Cup and all of that. And you, you were, but mm-hmm. at the same time. Uh, it, a lot of people who were commenting on that had forgotten just how abysmal the men's team have been from time to time over the years. do you know
13: oh absolutely, and like every team is entitled to to you know peaks and troughs and and ups and downs okay. and highs and lows so um i I know for us it might seem
6: I'd say Anna who were cheering like idiots the day you beat the black ferns,
13: yeah, yeah, absolutely it could have been so um. Yeah, people are very quick to disregard you as soon as you make a mistake in, in women's sport and, and other fields like as a woman, you know? Mm. Um and I often find that the kind of the sentiment is you know, you you'll see um you'll see a knock on or something in the men's game and you know people will get frustrated and like, oh, he should have caught that or yeah. how much is he getting paid? Or kind of harsh comments like that.
6: Have you been out there? Have you actually tried that? You know how fast that ball actually moves in real life?
13: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And not just like the physical aspect of like practising something. It's the mentality of being in the game. And, you know, if you've had a bad week or if you have something on your mind, like that can affect you more than anything else. And that happens in all aspects of every sport. So it's very easy for someone sitting comfy on their couch yeah. to pass remark on someone who might be going Absolutely. through something or someone who's struggling with an injury or someone who's literally just yeah. human and has made a mistake I, but I, what i find yeah, is that uh, when when it, if, if it's a if it's a female game it's a, if it's a women's game and you know a, you could have the exact same kind of knock on or the exact same kind of mistake people say oh well women's rugby isn't yeah. good anyway yeah. You know. Whereas you'd never say that when the mistake is made in the men's game. You, you, would, you would think, oh, sure, look, you know, it, these, these things happen. But in the women's, it's because she's a woman. That's why yeah. she's made the mistake.
6: Plus the fact, and, and one of the things we were saying about, about Linda, who's a phenomenal player, by the way, uh, that mm-hmm. or, or she's, she's not Irish. Uh, and I, I read those. Have you, have you not <laughs> forgotten about Bundy Have you not forgotten about a few others like, do you know what I mean?
13: Absolutely. And I just, I actually, yeah, that that comment was in there as well. And I just like, oh, it's just so, who is taking pleasure in posting that? Yeah, like,
6: It's, it's nasty. It's I,
13: nasty. And I must say, like, I have actually seen, because I've posted kind of things like this before, you know, and a lot of people are like, ah, Anna, just ignore it, just ignore it. I'm like, I'm sick of ignoring it. I don't want to ignore that kind of behavior anymore. And I've posted things like this in the past and I, I, and other as, other people have and I actually think the tide is turning a little bit like I would notice a lot more positive comments on women's posts like this you know um you know um clips from a women's rugby game um that there would be a lot of positive positive comments underneath and now that's either because you know more people are jumping in there to get their positive reactions down or someone who might, may have posted a negative comment in the past has thought about it and is now not posting that or else people are actually changing their minds. So I yeah. think there is a bit of a shift coming, but that was just a really blatant example of how far there is still to go. All
6: right, listen, good speaking. And good luck, by the way, with Gloucester. Uh, yeah, thanks go, very a, mon- much. a monster woman signing with Gloucester
13: <laughs> yeah there's I all, know the there's, ultimate there's the ultimate betrayal there. <laughs> <laughs> Anna good luck girl take care alright talk to you soon good luck see
6: you by that Santa Capless, who's just signed with Gloucester uh, women's rugby in the UK and any monster fan who remembers the miracle match will always have Gloucester in a particular place in our memories. But uh, thank you, Anna. 1850 715 996. Just on that, actually, with regard to the women's sport, uh, I've become a very big fan because I think she's wonderful and I think she's lovely with it. Emma Raducanu And um, if you remember when she went out of Wimbledon, John McEnroe was typical McEnroe. He claimed she hadn't the nerve. He claimed that uh, she she lost her nerve when it came to the crunch. And actually, the poor girl just wasn't feeling well that particular night. Didn't, Didn't he get his answer when she stormed through the US Open barely losing a set?
12: Can we just talk?
6: Opinion line on Corks 96 FM
3: with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Are you
12: We all love Irish music and the artists that make it.
3: The last 18 months have been devastating for this industry and we want to play our part to
12: help. Corks96FM is proud to support Irish Music Month by promoting the amazing work of Irish artists. Across
3: the country, independent radio with hot press is spotlighting Irish music and paying Irish artists over €95,000 to play and perform for us.
12: We're committed to promoting Irish music. Are you?
3: Irish Music Month on Corks 96 FM is supported by the BAI Send and Vision Fund and XL Retail. Offering a great deal more at your local store.
12: Can we just
2: talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396 96, 96 On
6: Corks 96 FM. Yeah, some more comments coming in on the incineration scandal. Anybody working for the government, with few exceptions, does not know the meaning of governance. They know all about government, but not governance. There needs to be a top-to-bottom system put in place so each person has a responsibility that they're accountable for. And if they fail, then they're gone. Another caller says, I think Paul Reid should go, the head of the HSE. Also, the head of CUH should go. And whoever signed off on those organs being incinerated. Paul Reid isn't on top of what's going on. He should go with no pension. This is the final straw. Kate, whoever is ultimately responsible should be fired. This is an unspeakable indignity to the tragic babies. Nothing else will do. And Collar wants to thank me and the team for staying with it because it could just have been a one-night wonder. Uh, no, caller, that will not be allowed to happen on this programme. Frank, you've called the Opinion line. You've your own experience. Good morning.
5: Uh, my experience was, uh, about, I think, it was seven or eight years ago. I had to, I lost a finger. Right. You know, they amputated one of my fingers, and they actually came up to me. I'd been in the hospital about four weeks by this time, and they actually brought my finger up, and it was all properly sealed up and stuff. And they said, "Do you want it? If not, you've got the f- you know we'll fill this form in, and you've got the sign to say that we're getting rid of it." Right. Yeah. So. I mean, that that was just a finger, not... I mean, poor child's uh, uh, lungs and stuff, whatever it was. It's uh. a lot worse. But the thing that annoys me most is whoever signed the forms knows they signed the forms. Yes. They, they must know they signed the forms. So why don't they come up and say, yes, that was me, instead of letting it drag on. And it, that's causing more pain to the people... Whose children it was, because they know somebody signed the forms, but nobody's got the guts to turn around and say that was me. I made a mistake, and if they said that straight away, okay, it's not going to be well. It's going to make it a lot lighter, really, in in one sense, you know, because then they're they're get, actually getting the truth. Whereas when somebody's signed the thing, and now they're saying, well. If I, if I don't admit it, nobody will know about it. Which yeah. is, you know, it's very wrong.
6: Yeah, it is. Frank, thank you very much for that quick call. Appreciate it. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. The man makes a huge amount of sense. Somebody signed this off. That person knows who they are. They could be listening to me right now. Or someone who knows them could be listening to me right now. They know who they are. You know who you are. Put your hand up and end the misery for the parents. Put your hand up. Take a bit of responsibility. Show a bit of gumption. Caller says we had the hypodermic scandals, the infected blood scandals, the industrial school scandal. Do ministers not understand by this stage that anything to do with babies and patients Needs a ser- huge amount of care and oversight by this point. I don't share your optimism about an outcome. Oh, trust me, caller. I've no optimism here. I, in fact, I actually believe that I can almost hear the carpet being lifted and the brush being found to push all this under the carpet. And I can almost hear the word processor The ticking of the typewriter to write the statement to try to explain it away. I can almost hear it. Not quite, though. So, extraordinary people are starting to wake up and say Paul Reed should go. Give the people on top, show them the door. That'd be the end of it. They're on serious money. It shouldn't be accepted anymore. Another story that will go down as one of the big international stories of 2021 was the horrific murder of Sarah Everard earlier this year Um, she was out walking home and she was uh, met a man called Wayne Cousins who was a policeman and what we now know was that he abused the powers vested in him under COVID-19 regulations to arrest her falsely of course imprison her and put her through unspeakable agony raping and murdering her he was jailed yesterday for life now in the UK we don't have this here at least I don't think we do in the UK they have an option for a whole life tariff so yesterday he could have gotten the standard life which is about 20 to 25 years Or he could have gotten 40 years, but he got a full life tariff, which means that that horrible piece of filth will die in jail. At least that's some sort of justice for Sarah Everard. But Shauna Bowers, who is a journalist with the Examiner, was it prompted by the case, Shauna, that you decided to write your own story in the paper? Good morning.
12: Good
7: morning. Yes, it was. Originally, I just set out to kind of write a piece that I would imagine every woman in the world could write about how we um, look out for our safety and how we're kind of indoctrinated to do so kind of subconsciously by Mm -hmm. society. And then um, I realized that I have the perfect example and it's kind of the first time I've spoken publicly about it but I thought it was kind of the right time um, because Sarah obviously she was kidnapped um, and in my situation it was an attempted uh, kidnapping so thankfully I didn't face the same fate that Sarah did but there's a relevance there that I thought um, people would like to know my story.
6: You were about 13 at the time.
7: I was, yes. Um, It was a Saturday in October. It was around half seven or so. And um, I had just been to the local shopping centre with two girls who were very popular. I was so excited that they had asked me to go out with them. I really wanted to be friends with them. And um, I was getting off the bus. The bus stop is literally just down the road. You you can almost see my house um, from the bus stop, but you just have to go up this kind of like, road kind of a hill thing and as I did so a silver car pulled up with two men sitting in the front and um, they started shouting at me oh hello love you look gorgeous Um, which Again, I think most women can relate to. I think we all face similar situations like that. Um, But I I stayed silent. I I felt like that was the safest thing to do. I just gave them a polite smile and kept walking. But I kind of had to go by the car to get up the road that I needed to uh, walk through to get to my home. And um, the passenger reached out through the open window and grabbed my arm, trying to hoist me in through the window. And I I really am not sure how I managed to break free because his, his grasp was Ugh. really quite tight. Ugh. Um, But thank, thankfully, I just, I don't know. I'm going to say the fight or flight reaction obviously kicked in and yeah. the adrenaline was pumping and I managed to break free and I just ran home straight to my parents um, who were in the sitting room at the time. Like you
14: were only 13, you know, over over, isn't that right?
7: Yeah, yeah, like a very young teenage girl. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of, probably would have been like, the first few times I had been out with my friends as well, you know, so this is a, you're getting this joy and this independence and then suddenly you you realise how vulnerable and how volatile the world can be.
6: Yeah. And presumably you just got on with things. Uh, they, they, I take it they were never caught. Did you report to the guards? Did your parents report to the guards?
7: We did, yeah. So when I arrived home, um, I was kind of, Stuck for words and kind of shaking, and eventually, after the tears had subsided slightly, I, I told my parents. We called the guardy straight away. They arrived at the house and we informed them um, everything that had happened. Then a few days later, I had to make an official statement to the guardy, and um, and uh, it was a female guardy. Uh, turned around when my dad was kind of asking like do, do they have any leads do they know what happened and she was like oh we think it was probably just two men having a laugh and I can still hear her say those words like that is imprinted on my memory because at the time I couldn't comprehend how someone could could say something that was so terrifying for me was just two people having a laugh. And she, she was kind of saying it as if I should be relieved. Like, they didn't set out to almost attack you. It just happened, you know? It, it was just like a random Saturday night, Saturday night plan. But for me, it was monumental. So th- there was this incongruence between their behaviours and my like, perceptions of it.
11: Like,
6: he had actually tried to drag you into the car. Yes. And a, a female guard, though, said ah they were only having a laugh
3: yeah yeah
6: that's almost incomprehensible what did you what did your what did your parents make of that when they were there with you
7: um they didn't really say much i think they were probably just as shocked as i was you see my dad actually worked in the bank at that at the time um so i think his first thought was oh, god i hope it wasn't an attempted at tiger kidnapping so um it clearly wasn't, obviously, um, but we were both just kind of, the whole thing w- was such a shock to everyone that it's only kind of in the latter years do you, do you evaluate your thought processes and things like that. Um, mm. But yeah, that I was very disheartened by the system when that was the response I got. Now, in fairness, they, they were lovely and very considerate to me. And that's what they said to my parent. To, to me, I wasn't. It was as if I was a child and didn't deserve a straight answer. And that's what they said to my dad. Um, and I just overheard what they were saying. But um, yeah, very disenchanted with the system after that. I have to say.
6: When the story of Sarah broke earlier this year, mm-hmm. it sure, look, there's many more stories, but Sarah's the one. Would do stories like that, Shauna, bring back a memory of that night.
7: But it does is a kind of, in some ways, yes, but it also, it angers me because we, we, like, we sentence the, those responsible for the murders and, and for the really grievous bodily harm and things like that. But that's like, we're only treating the consequences. We're not dealing with the issue of violence against women. Like, my incident was treated as if it was no big deal. Like, it was just two men having a laugh, as I said. Whereas if we are treating those ones with the severity that I believe they deserve, we could be saving far more lives because we're, we're catching these things before they escalate to the point of death or rape or kidnapping. Mm.
6: I spoke earlier in the year, actually not far, not long after the, the Sarah story to a, a young woman called Holly. And and she told me something that as a man, um, kind of, I won't say put me in my place a little bit, but got me to think Like, I would be out for an evening walk just up and down the road and there might be a... or walking my dog and there would be a young woman maybe 40, 50 yards ahead of me on the road and what Holly said to me was even the sound of my footstep might make that young woman frightened because of the world in which we live.
7: Yes, I'd completely agree, and I I think that's kind of universal among women. I would I would guess um,
6: that 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 um, made me think very long and hard, Shauna.
7: Yeah, like it, it's a relief when a, a man crosses to the other side of the road. It like it it provides so much relief, particularly in the dark. Um, but like if I'm walking home after a few drinks in the pub, my friends and I, we have a group chat and we share our locations and we have to text when we're home and things like this. And I always walk that I can easily grab my keys to get into the house straight away. I'm always scanning my surroundings to make sure I'm aware of who's there and who's not there. Like every, every woman I believe is, is trained almost. And, And it's not a conscious training, but it's just things that are said and built up over time to protect our safety. It's not that men are told not to attack us, but we are told not to let them, almost. That, that's how it feels.
6: Mm-hmm. I, I'm probably in a roundabout way doing what I shouldn't do, is asking your age, but you were 13 at the time. How long ago was it? Uh, it was uh, 10
7: years ago, so years I'm 23. Now.
6: Okay, 23 now. Do you think that the world has changed any way for better or for worse, since it happened, in terms of the kind of experience you had?
7: I think there's a lot more awareness now um, that these things do happen, and I think that's due in part to social media. There's a lot... When, when Sarah's case, for example, or any of the other more recent cases um, come to light through social media or through mainstream media, um There's a wider uh, audience now, which I think is good because awareness is always fantastic. However, with the advent of social media and the internet and things like that, I also think there's um, lessons that perhaps young boys are picking up that they believe it's acceptable to treat women in certain ways and things like that. And I think perhaps that's leading them to believe that they can act in these ways sometimes. Um, So I I think there's two sides of the Coin things have improved in terms of awareness, but I actually don't think behaviours or the morality around the issue has improved all that much.
6: How much of a bigger shock was it to discover that Wayne Costans was a cop? I mean, okay, and and to sort of put a perspective on that question, like when you can't trust the police, who can you trust? Mm-hmm. That's one of the biggest parts of this case.
7: I, yes, um, because Sarah did all of the things that we're told to do, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, she trusted, like, if if someone, um, if a police officer came up to me and arrested me, I would do as I'm told. You know, like it, it's it's indoctrinated within us to abide by law enforcement. But this is an issue that Black people and people of colour have raised for many many years, which I believe was kind of largely been ignored and, and I mean this internationally not just in Ireland um, that there can be uh, violence towards people by law enforcement members um, and they can be corrupt and, and they can be misbehaving and things like that um, so I think this kind of raises a wider issue regarding training and, and education within law enforcement
6: Lastly uh, to the parents of boys and to young men listening how can they help?
7: To parents, I think we tend to shy away um, of difficult conversations sometimes when children are young. I think we tend to underestimate a child's ability to comprehend um, and, and, and what they know and what they don't know. We all are a bit naive about what children do and don't know. So I think perhaps obviously with age appropriate language, there should be more concise conversations with young boys about what they can and can't do. And to young boys, just be considerate and mindful of How your presence can have an impact on a young woman, particularly as I said, crossing the road at night. You
6: may never have any intent towards her. You have no intent whatsoever. But the very fact that you're there, the world in which we live, frightens her.
7: Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I think it's being aware of that. Yeah.
6: All right. Listen, thanks very much, Sean, for being with us on the opinion line. Sean Bowers, journalist with The Examiner.
12: Can we just talk?
6: The Opinion Line on Corks
2: 96 FM.
3: With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
2: The Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM.
3: Hear the full show on our app by podcast or on 96FM.ie.
6: Now, yeah yeah, was very very, 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 very busy down on Washington Street last night. Corpio had video up quite early. Huge crowd on the steps of the courthouse. It was party central. I'd say every college student in Cork was in Washington Street last night, doing no harm. They don't see many serious incidents and no trouble as such. At least that's our take on it. Okay. Look, we're not quite that free and easy yet. We're supposed to wait until after the 22nd before we can gather in those kind of numbers. But people were out and partying and enjoying themselves, etc, etc, etc. Huge crowd, though, down in Washington Street last night. We got contacted then on WhatsApp. We'd love to get your... WhatsApp voice notes at 083-396-9696. 96 96. As I always say, you know, you might have something that you don't have time to take a phone call. Or oh, you might be half afraid to take a phone call. That's okay, I don't bite, you know what I mean? But you mightn't have time, literally, to take a phone call. Well, you know, you could sit there, boop, 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 boop texting like a devil for 20 minutes, half an hour. Why don't you just pop it into a voice note and away with you? This one came in from Paula to tell me about an experience that she had, was it last night I think it was
11: Hi, how are you PJ, mm-hmm. um, my name is Paula um, I'd like if you could um, say this on on the radio channel this morning I'd appreciate it, just take a couple of minutes out of your time, I'd, maybe you don't do it but um, on Wednesday morning my mum was walking to Grona Church going to mass um, she had a bad fall she was on her own Um, A taxi driver pulled up and um, assisted her. He um, brought her to the orthopedic. Um, She's actually, she's fine. She got five stitches over her eye. She was very shaken. Um, He brought her to the orthopedic. He told her, wait into the car. He went in and got a wheelchair, came back out and assisted her and put her in the hands of someone inside a nurse. Um, We are so grateful. She never got his name. She never got the taxi um, company. So if you could just mention it on air maybe. Um, If not, it's okay, but um, I would really appreciate it because there's a a, a person out there that looks after my mum. So there are some still good people around. Okay, my name is Paula and thanks very much. I love your show. Bye-bye.
6: Cheers, Paula. That was a nice guy, whoever that taxi driver was. Well done. It wasn't last night at all, it was just uh, Wednesday morning. But just in the context of, you know, bringing out the best in people. There's a lot of nasty stuff going on in the world. We, we focus a lot on it. So thanks for that, Paula. And that's how easy it is. Just open up your WhatsApp, press the little microphone, record a voice message, and send it to us. 1850 715 996. There's lots of stuff that I'm holding over on the HSE and the organs. I will come back to it, but I don't know how many times that we have discussed this over the years. It's always a part of the back-to-school season, which I suppose is coming to an end now, everyone's back. But a couple of weeks into the term, it always pops up. And it is schools who have a so-called voluntary contribution. And I say so-called voluntary contribution because in all reality, it isn't. Eileen, good morning to you.
8: Good morning PJ, how are you?
6: Good, now I read about you in the Cork Independent, you're part of a, a parents online parents group in, in East Cork and you say that quite a number of parents are coming under pressure to give this so-called voluntary contribution.
8: Yes, uh, that's right PJ, um, we have a group here based in East Cork, um, it's called the Families of Castle March, Mowgli and Ladies Bridge Um, And, yeah, as as you say, every year, it comes up every single year. Um, But unfortunately, there's no no change on on the horizon. Um, Now, Councillor Danielle Toomey is a a local councillor here in East Cork, and she's engaged with families on a lot of issues. I know you've covered before the the issue we have here as well about the lack of secondary school places, Mm. Um, but the costs is a thing that every single year comes up and nothing is changing, you know, it's, it's just getting more and more expensive for families to get their children to go back to school. Um, for many years, you know, it was this thing, it was this kind of heading of voluntary contributions um, and I think a lot of families became aware of the fact that this was actually voluntary, even though I am aware of a lot of families who would have received phone calls from principals or school secretaries saying, you know, your fees are due, you haven't you haven't paid them, Um And then I think families kind of became aware, well, actually it is voluntary and they stopped paying. So over the past year or so, what appears to be happening now is the removal of the term voluntary expenses. And they're just being covered under the heading of school fees. Mm. Um, And families feel they have absolutely no option but to pay them because where book schemes or book rental schemes are, are involved in schools, they're being tied in. So like I'm aware of a few families that had contacted our group saying, you know, the school were looking for fees um, and included in these fees, you know, they'd be listed out book rental, insurance, photocopying, art supply. And it was a case of you had to pay the fees or you didn't get the books. Like, And I'm also aware of of one person in particular who went to collect their books, um, you know, on the book rental scheme from the school. Um, and we questioned at the door by the school secretary. Have you paid your fees? You're not on my list as having paid. A pupil or a parent? A parent, a parent who would have gone to, to collect the, the, the book rental books um, in a school before the school year term, the school term started back. Um, and we're asked, oh, have you paid your fees? And this in front of people who were outside queuing to come in. Um, no, as I said, I fully understand and all families fully understand the pressures schools are under. You know, schools aren't obviously being funded
15: yeah.
8: like they need to be funded by the Department of Education. But um, why should the families and why should the, the, the guardians and the, and the parents be the ones that have to, to cover the cost of it? Um, like. I think a lot of people are kind of estimating that the, the department funding will cover perhaps 70% of, of the school costs and that the 30% is, mm. is what is needed for the schools to, to find a way to get it. And unfortunately, parent associations, which were set up for the sole purpose of being representative groups for parents, have become fundraising ra- wings of schools. That, that's not what parent associations were set up to be about, but that's what they've morphed into in a lot of the situations. Mm -hmm. And when I suppose when parent associations try to break free from the, the label of being the fundraising wing of the school, then they are met with with kind of, you know, with some upset from the schools who are kind of saying, oh, no, no, you know, that's not what you're for. Um, so th- there's a clear there's a clear breakdown somewhere along the way, but again, unfortunately, it's it's the families that, that are suffering and yeah. covering the cost of it. And clearly, the
6: schools don't have enough money from the Department of Education, and that that's a fact. The voluntary contribution was voluntary, but now I, I'm wondering: is it even legal to refer to something as fees in a public school? And that's well, just a pure question it's not.
8: World yeah it's not and as i said the department of education issues issue circulars um, quite regularly that that are are to the schools but are also to be to be shared with um you know with the parent associations and and the and the parent community um where it clearly says that the funding that they get is is for the running of the schools and that that fees shouldn't and fees and voluntary fees or any kind of fees shouldn't be sought from families and if they do And that the schools could suffer because of it. Mm. Um, But then, like, I'm also aware of a situation where I know of parents who contacted the Department of Education telling the Department of Education, the schools are seeking fees off us. They're not interested in reducing the cost of uniforms or other costs. They won't engage with families and the Department of Education just responded back with the circular from 2017 where it was asking schools to reduce costs and basically telling parents schools run themselves. We don't have the authority to instruct them to do anything. If you have an issue with the school, you know, go to the board of management. If you're not getting any response from the board of management, go to the patrons. Um, but it's just a vicious circle.
6: Yeah. And you I mean, know, the, the department the parents, funds the school. So surely the Depar- he who pays the piper is supposed to be calling the tune.
8: One one hundred percent, you would think that. Um, but as I said, that that I actually have an email. Somebody sent me an email on that they got a response from the the Department of the Minister's uh, Private Secretary, stating that they have no authority um, to tell schools what to do, that they can merely um, instruct them as to as to what the the best practice is. Um,
6: it's crazy though, isn't
8: it? It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, so to, it was Derek uh, Newcomb. He's the private secretary. So I'm just looking at the email here and it's, the response was, each school is managed at local level by the Board of Management. The Department of Education does not have the power to direct schools. Um, raise the issues with the Board of Management and if the Board of Management don't listen, raise them with the patron body. So it, it's just going round and round in circles. As I said, you know, parents fully accept the the restraints schools are under; they they need money to run, they need money to open the doors. But on the other hand, where costs can be established in relation to uniforms, books, all of these things, if costs were were were, were really looked at in the areas where schools do have the authority. Or you know where schools can make cost cuttings. We'll say the reduction of of prices of uniforms or more generic uniforms, mm. then perhaps families may not suffer yeah. as much. How much of
6: that is going? I I know for years the Aldis and the Lidl's and the Tesco's and the Duns and the Marks of this world have been full up every September of perfectly nice generic school uniforms, but an awful lot of schools simply insist on a crested blazer or a crested jumper that's way more expensive than what you can get in your local supermarket. And is there any move on that in your experience?
8: Um, in my own experience, no. Um, I know the school that, that I'm in, the school that my children attend, we have attempted to um, Proposed cost, cost, cost cutting and, and amendments to uniform since 2018, but unfortunately we we haven't had any movement. Um, and I know similar other parents have had similar experiences with their schools. Mm. Um, like I went to a school in the north side of the city, St. Aidan's in Dublin Hill, and I still remember buying that uniform thirty odd years ago. Um, And at the time, it was like 40 Irish pounds. (laughs) Um, And, you know, you'll see the same schools with the same uniforms. Um, Nothing has changed. And the only thing that's changed is the prices.
6: Do you mind me asking, you you, know, um, in in your own uh, family... Um, Like how much did it cost you to get your youngsters back to school this September? So
8: for my, I have three children in in my family. So in my children's school, they have both a formal uniform and a tracksuit. So each child to buy a formal uniform and a tracksuit is approximately 130 euro per child. So that by three is just under 400 euro just for uniforms. Mm
6: hmm. Mm-hmm. Then books,
8: um, so the stuff. books, and yes, yeah, so the books, uh, the books, the fees, and the stationery would work out at um, about three hundred and fifty. Would have been the books, the fees, and right. the stationery for three children, right? Um, and I suppose then you put in things like coats, runners, shoes. Um, you could estimate that at about two hundred and fifty, I suppose.
6: Right, and, and then it, you'd have voluntary contributions.
8: The voluntary contribution, I, I suppose I would have included there with the books.
13: Okay, fine.
8: Um, so the voluntary, the voluntary contribution in, in my children's school was €45 Euro per child. Right, okay. And you said
6: sundries, um, and the, voluntary,
8: the sundries, so like, you know, as you say, the pencil cases, the lunch yeah. bags and the bottles and all that. Again, you'd be looking at probably €50, €60 Euro per child.
6: 180
8: Um, And in surveys and, and submissions, we'd have done ourselves as well locally, you know, when you put in kind of, you know, the daily average costings for, for lunches and, and bits and pieces, um, we kind of put that, we, we'd we average that at around 250 to 3 euro per child, yeah. which works out at about 460 euro per child per year. Yeah. Um, well, well but so I when just, you put it do, all
6: together. Just scratching my old fashioned, doing my sums and my five times tables and carrying the one here. Before your child goes in the door. That's 1,200 quid.
8: And that's at primary school. We haven't even touched on secondary school expenses at this stage. Yeah,
6: It's getting worse every year. And this
8: is our free education system yeah. in Ireland.
6: It's, it's, it's not getting any better. Eileen, thank you. Eileen kelly McCarthy, uh, 185715996, 1,200 quid for primary school. Now, she does have three children, admittedly, but 1,200 quid for primary school before they set foot in the place. ...of a September time. I'm so glad we're out of that. I'm so, so glad we're out of it. Caller says government needs to make it law... ...that you can access the crests and badges... ...at least for the schools for ordinary people. Also, uh, I stopped giving the voluntary contribution... ...to our secondary last year. I will give it gladly... ...when the schools stop changing books year after year. I have three children close in age. I still can't pass on books... They've changed the German, the history, and laughably the religion, which would be funny except it's 30 quid for a new one, not to mention new editions, the same book with minor updates. Wanted to pass some on to a friend this year, but again the book changes. I'm disgusted and surprised that schools have done this post-Covid, where many families could be under more extra financial strain. Maria says this happens in our school as well. They're not called fees, but a voluntary contribution of one euros it's a set up contribution. Whether you have one child or three, you pay the same. So, what if I wanted to contribute with 50 euro instead of 100? There was no option. Plus, books, stationery, book rental, uniforms. It's abusive, in my view.
12: Can we just talk?
6: The Opinion Line on Corks 96
2: FM. With
3: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
2: All this stars on one show.
3: This is Dua Lipa.
2: Hi, this is Tiesto. Oi, this is Shane Conn.
3: Hey, this is Amory. Hey, it's
7: me,
2: Justin Bieber.
12: This is Joe Corey. I go by the name of the weekend.
2: The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks on your radio, weeknights from 8.
3: With New Market Motors Volkswagen, test drive the all-electric ID4 at New Market Motors or visit newmarketvolkswagen.ie for more.
2: Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
3: Text or WhatsApp now 83 396 On
2: Courts 96
6: FM I'm hanging on to some of your comments on the organ retention and the organ incineration scandal uh, I will come back to it during the morning um, We also, um, we did have a call but that person seems to be unavailable to us now very upset they were on the phone If they call us back again we'll chat with them But it's good news. Three weeks today, we will be jazzing. 22nd of October, which is the day that our next, our last restrictions are set to lift. Also happens to be the opening day of the Guinness Cork Jazz Festival. Joined by festival director Fiona Collins. Hi Fiona.
0: Good morning. How are you this morning? Good.
6: This is the best news we had in once <laughs> that the jazz was back because we missed it so much last year. As someone who tends to stick to the trail, the yep. jazz trail, and that's going to be, what, 60 pubs this year?
0: Yep we're we're looking to now that's 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 all the details of that are up online pj but i'm so looking forward to it um it's so nice to have good news and to know the festival is actually going ahead this year and starting on friday so mm. no different to yourself um i'm really delighted with the fact that it's going ahead and um kind of slightly slight slightly tight timeline but we we've, well, yeah. we've worked on it i was just <laughs> going to say that
12: <laughs> you
6: know, when you, when the decision was made and announced Uh, you then had to pick up the phone and say who was available to play or or did you have people provisionally booked?
0: To be fair, we had been looking at doing something for the festival um, and we had been looking at maybe doing some street activities for sure. Um, But now that the venues were open fully, we were like, yeah, let's go for that and see what what we can do for that. And um, Opera House and Everyman were very much on board with that. And um, if you saw the the lineup for the weekend, it's going to be fabulous. Um, I'm, you know, particularly pleased with having Hypnotic back and mm. um, having Matthew Halsall back as well in The Everyman. And, you know, home talent as well. Mick Flannery is playing on Friday night, which I think is just brilliant. Mm. And Paul Lee will be in the Triscoll. So there's there's a bit of something for everyone again for this year. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just really nice to have that.
6: The, the jazz as as a music festival has broadened in that it's, it's, it's changed so much over the 40 years. It was strictly a jazz yeah. festival for jazz enthusiasts. Yeah. In latter years it became kind of any kind of a band, throw a saxophone in for the weekend and call yourself a jazz band. But And you know what, that just happened organically. But now...
0: That very much happened organically. You yeah.
6: yourselves book all sorts of different music.
0: We do. Well, like the jazz like jazz itself has evolved so much over the last number of years. It takes in rap, hip hop, hop and funk. You know, It just takes in a bit of everything. Soul and I think... The weekend tries to encompass as much of that as possible because people love particular types of jazz. You have the person who loves the more traditional jazz. Um, I think Matthew Halsall will will fill that role this year. Um, but then you have the likes who love hypnotic hypnotic brass. And having Yasmin B or Mas Def, as he's known as, um, back as well. You know, fits into that you know funk and hip hop vibe as well. Um, but then you have people who just want to go out and have a good vibe. They don't mind. They're 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 quite happy to see what's happening around around the place and and go where. They, um, where, where, where their hearts take them effectively. So they get to enjoy all kinds of that as well.
4: Yeah.
0: Um, and for me, a part, part, part of the reason I love the festival is some of the jazz on the streets. You have people that will just come across the band, they get to hear brass music, and it's just brilliant. I love seeing the little kids looking at the man with the big Zuzaphone on his shoulders going, what's he doing? What's he playing? And figuring, you know, do you know what, that's part of the magic of the festival. And we have Rebel Brass taking part this year. They've grown up with the Jazz Festival, as has Paul Lee. And to, you know, have them playing now in the Jazz Festival and, you know, just to be a part of it is, is just is just magic for me. I just love that that we have that um, kind of you know growing up with it and developing it and now playing for it.
6: Yeah, Rebel Brass have been studio guests with me here yeah. uh, over Christmas time, and I think I can still hear the ringing in my ears. they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're probably, just yeah. they're just brilliant. <laughs>
0: they're just brilliant, and, yeah, and I love so my my favorite part yeah.
6: of the fest, of the festival is actually the streets. To Walk down yeah. Patrick Street if you get a day like today, for example.
0: Oh, absolutely! And um, keep your fingers and toes crossed. I'll have to put out the child to crag <laughs> and, and make sure that we have fine weather over the weekend. and yeah. um, so, so ticket, tell, tickets but...
6: for everything. oh, and the festival club at the Metropole. Uh, I
12: was like, oh, gonna...
0: Fest- we can't forget the Metropole, bless us, the home of the Jazz. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, tickets are going on sale for that as well. And the festival club is back. Um, so you know, it's so great to have that too. Can, it can we come really t- Tickets
6: online. At the same, all website, the tickets,
0: everything now is everything now is on is on the Cork Jazz Festival website, um, and it will provide links to wherever you need to go, or if you're looking for a particular gig. So, if you're looking for Hypnotic and you know it's in the Everyman, all the tickets are on sale through the Everyman website as well. So it's just a case of of going to the website and having a look at it, mm. and you'll find everything up there.
6: Will there be COVID compliance required, Fiona?
0: we will have a COVID compliance officer um, and just to keep an eye on things I mean like we're still you know we're still quite conscious of it even mm. with restrictions being lifted on the Friday we're still quite conscious of it um, I mean like for us like who people need to be vaccinated place, to
6: go to the venues
0: and that, that's that's within the lines of the venues so um, if you have your COVID pass I would say definitely bring that with you Um yeah. and have that um, but we're we, you know for us on the street stuff we've 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 gotten rid of the market um, for this year. We're going to try something new this year just to allow for better crowd control in Emmet Place, you know, because we, we will have the stage there this year as well. Um, so uh, the market is gone, so it'll just hopefully allow for better movement okay. and not, you know, the you know the complete <laughs> madness that it usually yeah, is yeah. and that will allow people to come and go at that much easier and will allow for, for better crowd control from that perspective. Uh, it's just, it's so we just... are very conscious of it, it but... It's, you know, it's something just to be aware of. Yeah.
6: Just just so great to have it back. It, it, it really yeah. is. We missed it so much last year. Fiona, thank you very much. Fiona Collins, Festival Director of the Guinness Cork Jazz Festival, which is back for 2021. Uh, all different venues and events selling now on the Jazz Festival website. Um, and I was chatting last weekend. She was a guest on my podcast, uh, my old pal Fiona Kennedy and she's going to be playing, I think she said, in the Metropole, in the Festival Club, and she is buzzing for it. Absolutely buzzing for it. 1850, 996 Actually, what are you planning for this particular weekend? I mean, today is glorious. Weather is really, really lovely. Blue skies and sunshine. Not so sure that that's how it's going to stay for the weekend. Tomorrow, not looking great. And Sunday, not looking great. Weather-wise, supper rain... Uh, definitely a supper of rain on tomorrow. In fact, quite a large sup of rain tomorrow until about midday. But then Sunday looks a bit brighter and a bit clearer. So what are your own plans for the weekend? Are you going to go to a match? Are you going to get yourself to a gig? Uh, as I said, tomorrow, I'm or not tomorrow, Sunday, I'm going to see the new James Bond film. Tickets and all booked, popcorn and all bought. It's great. Uh, looking forward to that one. Tonight, we're a few of us here. And those of us who've been lucky enough to be shortlisted for Imra uh, Awards, we're, we're virtually attending the event tonight. So we're so excited about that. So, what are you planning for the weekend? What are your plans? While I'm at it, also, did you know? Uh, if you didn't, I'm going to tell you. Did you know that today is National Potato? Day. Not one of these ones that's on a calendar now You know these things you can email everyone Today is National Potato Day Today is National Raspberry National Attic Insulation Day You know all those ones, right? No, this is actual Bored B's National Potato Day How do you like your spuds? Boiled, fried, roasted, chipped, mashed I particularly love Do you know those little ones? Little, small little ones They're they about the size of a snooker ball Right, I could eat kilos of them, just boiled, with a bit of salt and a bit of butter. I could. I have. In fact, when we have them at home, they have to take the bowl off the table because they will eat the whole bowl if they're let to me. That and a few chips. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Your favourite kind. I know it sounds so BBC Radio, but listen. Let's do it. Your favourite way of serving spuds I'm not too sure we'll get too many dauphinois or au gratin I don't think we will I don't think we will I think we would be down to chips and roasted and mashed and boiled and fried How do you like your spuds?
12: Can we just talk
6: Opinion Line on Corks
2: 96 FM.
3: With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. Cmig.ie.
2: Access all areas on Corks 96 FM.
3: Your guide to
12: nightlife
2: on Side. Hi, it's Michael
14: here with an update on Corks Entertainment. Comedy is coming back to city limits in October with Bernard Casey and guests this Saturday, Carl Spain and Barry Murphy on Friday the 8th and 9th and two nights with David McSavage at the end of the month. Further details are available at thecomedyclub.ie Access all areas. Cork Opera House is set to welcome two multi-platinum-selling Irish artists for a double headliner taking place on Wednesday, October 20th. Paddy Casey and Monday are set to perform a show that will deliver some of this country's best-known songs of the last two decades. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie.
3: Access all
12: areas. Your guide to nightlife on side On Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The
2: Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: Call us now. 1850
6: 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Uh, boiled in jackets with butter, says Betty. Yep. Yeah. And I was telling Fiona I here, haven't, I haven't actually peeled a spud before I ate it in years. i, I skin and all that's me I know probably Neanderthal but it is on the weekend hi PGS. my last field athletics competition of the season tomorrow in Carlo it was great to get a season in even in those times or these times Yeah, thanks for that anybody else doing anything different over the weekend Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. few comments coming in on the cost of going to school and books and classes and contributions etc etc that's another nerve We're after hitting. 1850, Yesterday, Harry McCann was on the show with me talking about... Uh, he quit refereeing several years ago and would never go back to it. Refereeing under nines, under tens and under elevens. And he told me about the incidents that, again, about the incidents that he had seen in his time. And it came on the back of a threat being issued to underage clubs in the Dublin area. That they would be expelled from their leagues if there was any more carry-on, and Harry has been speaking about like people waiting to meet referees in the car park, under nines and under tens. We decided we'd try to find out what's happening locally, and Edwin McNally is chairman of the Cork branch of the Irish Soccer Referees Society. Edwin, good morning.
15: Good morning.
6: Is that kind of thing going on in Cork?
15: It is, but not to the extent that it's happening in Dublin. Um, like the latest one we had in Cork was back in July, where there was a schoolboy referee threatened to be killed um, by a spectator in a car park after the game. No, he didn't say it once. He said it on three occasions. So, like these these cases are, you might get one or two a year, but they're still creeping into the game.
6: What kind of mentality? I mean, and that was an under—it was a schoolboys game.
15: Schoolboys game, eh, under fifteen or under sixteen at the time. Um, now the referee involved is only a young for himself; he's only nineteen, but he, he has first potential. But it knocked him, and I think it's after putting him back um, a step or two in the career path that he he chose to take. You know. Yeah. What What
6: fuels that kind of aggression, Edwin?
15: Um, to be honest, like be- before you wouldn't see like they would be parents at games, but since the COVID now, like where lads used to travel three or four fellas in a car together, they're now going individually with their own parents. So the parents are staying at the games whereas you wouldn't see that before. So for every player you probably have one or two parents there as well. Mm-hmm. Um now every parent thinks that little Johnny or little, little Johnny, or little Sarah—it's right? it's, girls are playing as much as as the boys now, and um, they think that these fellas are going to be the next Roy Keane, and um, they're they're not taking it into account that the, the kids want to go and enjoy themselves. They're they just want the, the young for it to have glory and for the parents to milk off it. But like, like they, they need to let the kids play, and like they, they don't need to be getting involved as much as they are. That's what the coaches jobs are for.
3: Yeah.
6: And what happens if, like, obviously, a referee, if that happens, will put it into their written report.
15: What happens like, then? No, if if in, like right, if you if you send a player off, you, you 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 put your report into the league, and the the league will 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 sanction the the punishment to the player involved. In regards to a serious incident like that of a threat of an assault or an assault, there's a protocol there that the referee would first of all go to the local guard station and put it in writing. Now, if it's an assault, he makes a statement. But if it's just a threat, they they, they make the guards aware of it and it's just put on record that if anything does happen, at least it's there so that the guards can follow up on it. Um, then, then it's submitted to the league and the league will, will deal with the club now, we've met in the last couple of weeks with with all like it's it's all done through Zoom. Now, as you can understand. Yes, of course. Uh, we've, we've, we've met with all the we've met with all the leagues and um we've told the leagues that what we need is for the home club to basically police their grounds and if anybody a spectator starts, it's it's back to the home club to ask that person to leave. Yeah. If the person won't leave. Then it gives the ref; it puts the referee behind the eight ball, and the referee will have to abandon the game. Now there's a shortage of referees at the moment, so we don't need we don't need to be abandoning games and putting pressure on the leagues to try and finish finish out their leagues at the end of the season because X amount of the games have been abandoned. So we don't need this hassle for ourselves and for the clubs. Yeah. So like it's up to the home club to get the person to leave, if. The person is with the away team that is given the hassle to the referee and giving the abuse. It's it's up to the it, 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 it's back to the away team then because they're with the club yeah. that they have to ask leave. No, nine times out of ten, the the club involved will say we don't know who he is, but their son or their daughter are playing, so they do know who they are. So like, the days of them saying that we don't know who they are, there's nothing we can do. That's gone. They need to remove the person from the ground for the safety of the referee. Or yeah. basically, it could be the safety of a player. It could, it could be a player he's threatening it. It's not. It's not always a referee. Yeah. Um, so it's it's back to them. They want us back on the, the the two clubs to remove the person from the ground.
6: You, you have to ask the question about the the human condition, Edwin, and and the. Like you said, I suppose everybody thinks their's, their, their kid is the next Messi or the next Roy Keane and, and they're entitled. Uh, but, but at the same time, the roaring and the abuse from the sideline to an under-10s match and following a referee out into Like, if I have an altercation with the management of a pub and I follow a manager out into a car park and threaten him or her, not only will I never set foot in the place again, I could well find myself inside in the Cork District Court.
15: Yeah, yeah. Now, what what happens there is that, like, if a club removes somebody from from their ground, right, and the club deal with it, and they could say, "Look, you're you're not allowed into you're not allowed into or or venue for the next two years." Who's to stop him going to an away game?
6: Yes. Yes.
15: Because he's he's in somebody else's ground. And like, it, like for instance, we'd say Rockmont Park, Ringman's, Ringman's ground. They belong to the clubs. Yes. But then if you have a club renting a pitch, we'd say, like, in regional park, that's a public ground. Yeah. Nobody can stop somebody going into a public ground. So, like, he's free then to show roar. Yeah. What he you,
6: wants. You, you just because have to. Get. You just have to wonder about the mentality. And I guess before I, I leave you, Edwin, maybe maybe your opportunity to get your spake in. You know, to parents as they prepare for another weekend of bringing and and let's face it, the vast vast majority are just going to go out and enjoy the game with their youngster. But to those who are tempted to cause trouble, what would you
15: say? Right. If you look at it this way. Referees start at Grade 5, or Category 5, it's known as now, and they go to Category 1, which will be refereeing the Munster Senior League Premier Games. The lads that are referenced school by games are only new. So basically, if they started an apprenticeship with a plumber, after three months, their boss isn't going to say to them, right, off you go and install a boiler. They're not ready for it. So these lads are... Starting their careers in school by football, trying to learn how to deal with people, how to how to control a game and stuff like that. They're going to make mistakes. Like at a, at, a, at a senior game, you might make five decisions every two minutes. Over ninety minutes, that's two hundred and twenty-five decisions. If you get if there's fifteen decisions that are questioned in the game, that's two hundred and ten out of two hundred and twenty-five. That's ninety-three percent. If you were in UCC and you got 93%, you'd be a scholar. (laughs) So, like, these people have to... uh, You have to learn. These young fellas that are reffing school by games, they're going to make mistakes. They're only learning their trade. Mm. So, like, give them a break. And, like, if you think you can do a better job, by all means, do a referee's course and go and do it. Because Mm. we're crying out for referees. We have 75 active referees and there's over 500 games in Cork on a weekend. So if, we, if people do the maths fellas are going to pick up injuries they're not going to be able to do all these games and we don't we don't want to be going back to the league saying we're short 10 referees for this weekend you have to call off 10 school by games that's not fair and there's going to be 40 people involved with the two clubs between the players the subs and the coaches we don't want 400 people sitting at home doing nothing on a weekend all because fellas are packing up referees, refereeing because of abuse we don't need her
6: Okay, all right, Edwin. Thank you, and uh, enjoy the matches over the weekend, whatever matches are on. Edwin McNally, chairman of the Cork branch of the Irish Soccer Referees Society. Ah, yeah, you love your spuds. You do indeed love your spuds. Only one way, says Bear. Buy them with plenty of earth. Wash and steam them until they burst open and smile at you. I like that one. Hi, PJ. No, I like nothing more than leftover potatoes. Slice them and fry them the next day. Oh yeah, all fried, sliced, dear. Absolutely, Antoinette. Next time you have the baby ones, melt the butter in the pot after you drain them out. and Put the potatoes back in for about five minutes. Make sure it's real butter. You can thank me later. I will try that, uh, PJ. For dinner, says Finbar, I'm having yellow fish, onions, white sauce, and mashed potatoes. With a bit of time, there's a cork dinner now. If ever there was a pure cork dinner, yellowfish. We don't even know what it's called. It's just yellowfish. And it's true. People, Pat O'Connell would tell you, people come up to the go, Pat, bit of yellowfish. They don't care what it is, as long as it's yellow. But yeah, it's usually either haddock or coley. PJ says, Nick, leftover mash fried up for the br- Oh, yeah, fried mash. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Boiled the jackets with butter says Betty. There's another one as well, and I learned how to make them, but there's a bit of work in making them. And they are Canarian potatoes. They're the little ones you have as a starter in the Canary Islands. They're so little small potatoes, and they're shrunk and wrinkled and shriveled, and they taste of salt. And you dip them in hot, spicy sauce. I can make them. <sighs> right, another thing that came up this week. Remember I was talking recently to Andrew Geary. Andrew was on the Late Late Show uh, with his son, Callum. Uh, Callum needs an Irish, la- an Irish sign language interpreter in school because sign language is his first language. Callum is profoundly deaf and it's irreversible. So he needs a sign language interpreter in school and they haven't been able to get one. Callum was on with me. Uh, or not Callum, Sir Andrew was on with me a week or two ago. Like you said, the Epson Act is there and it was Noel Dempsey who, who drew it up and it but it never never got fully implemented, which means that the rights within it still don't exist for your son. But the, the, the other if you go to court, you'll get it. You'll get the
16: interpreter yeah, yeah. if you go to court. Well, again, we've been looking at this all year and I've sat down and we've had to take legal advice and we're sitting down. We've got a a legal team put together and unfortunately, I think that's the only route left to us. I I love and we've exhausted our democracy, I think, at this stage. You know, I just I hope not, but we're going to have to put everything on the line. You know, we have a solicitor, senior counsel and barrister and we're sitting down with them all year since March this year. You know, and it's just soul destroying that mm. our democracy and this country that you and I love. And, and um, you know, I, I, I studied history a long, long time ago and I just love our history. And, you know, the likes of Pierce, Plunkett, Parnell, Tone, O'Connell, mm. all those people, they, they didn't well, well, do all that brilliant
6: work. Well, for, well doesn't, for, our prov- for our doesn't our proclamation talk about uh, prote- and cherishing all the children of the nation equally?
16: Yes, and that, that line keeps me going. I just read that every now and again and it just that, that line and I think that's uh, that's those brilliant people. And you read that line and then UN CRC, the UN's Charter for Children and those people could have written that charter.
6: Now the story was brought up in the doll yesterday by Marion Harkin TD.
4: There are graduates with first class honours ready and willing to work, but the Department of Education refuses to sanction new positions. Boards of management can only employ these graduates as SNAs or under specified grants where there's no holiday pay, no maternity pay, so they just can't get qualified staff. Tanisha, unless the department moves on this, this family will have no option but to go to court.
6: Taking the question was Minister Josefa Mendigan.
11: I think it's really important that we provide adequate therapists uh, within schools. And obviously uh, we're working with uh, Minister Ann
8: Rabbit also in relation to this. And I think also workforce planning needs to be done to ensure that we have an adequate, uh, sufficient stream of new therapists uh, coming on board. But uh, suffice to say is that the department is aware of this case and will engage uh, with with the
11: parents and indeed is uh, on an ongoing basis, I understand.
6: Thank you, Minister. Oh, yeah. So they know about it. Yeah, that was about as useful an answer as a chocolate saucepan
12: Can we just talk
6: The Opinion Line on Corks
2: 96FM With
3: McCarthy Insurance Group Call in person or call them now They don't just talk the talk They walk the walk CMIG.ie
2: The Opinion Line on Corks 96FM
3: Hear the full show on our app by podcast or on 96FM.ie
2: the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we
3: just talk? Call 1850-715-996.
2: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
3: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: On Cork's 96FM.
6: Bubble and Squeak. I- I've forgotten what bubble and squeak is it's obviously, I think it's cabbage and potatoes, and are they're they fried together in the pan. I'm not sure, bubble and squeak, anyway, says someone. Uh, hassle. Oh, hassle. Now, we only discovered hassleback potatoes in Coogan Towers uh, a few months ago when the missus made them. Queen Bee produced hassleback spuds to himself and the umphala at dinner time, and now she. she He won't let her stop making them. He's after falling in love with Hasselback. They're gorgeous. I love Hasselback potatoes. I wonder is there a potato dish that is unique to Cork that we do that nowhere else does? Mike I mentioned earlier on the Canarian potatoes that they do in the Canary Islands. They're beautiful. Uh, is there a unique dish to Cork potato dish to Cork? Fiona reckons that it's the <laughs> it's the potato and cheese pie from from Jackie Lennox's. <laughs> it's like biting, it's like biting into molten lava. Yeah, that could be unique to Cork. Here's a man who knows his spuds. Maybe he knows the answer to that question, John Griffin from Griffin's Potatoes. Hi, John. Good morning. Hi, Hi PJ. How are things? Good, good, good. Is there a unique? potato dish in Cork that we
17: um, I don't know if there's a Pacific uh, potato dish but maybe Pacific varieties maybe is more than a potato dish if you know what I'm saying
6: yeah. What's our favourite? Would it be the rooster?
17: Um, probably but the the pinks are well up there the Cork pinks are well up there with the rooster
6: yeah. yeah, the rooster is the old reliable, you can find a bag of roosters any time of the year and do anything you want with them
17: That's right, that's mm-hmm. right um, I suppose just down the south of the country here, pinks are kind of a very popular one. Whereas if you go up to the country from Cork Tipperary, anywhere up above that, there's mm. hardly no pinks growing at all. If you know what I'm saying. Mm. So, no, in Cork, pinks are very, are very, are nearly as popular as as rooster. I would yeah. say.
6: One of the things you do at Griffins is you grow potatoes specifically for chips. I didn't know this, but you can't just, or you shouldn't be just chipping any old spud.
17: Um, yeah, you can't ship any spot But we say from this time of the year on, we're storing potatoes. So we would say for the rest of the year, for the month of October is our main month for storing potatoes. But once you put potatoes in the fridge, they just don't ship anymore. Right. So we 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 actually go as, uh, grow a specialist, a specialized variety, forest. And Marquee, what is it? Is that the
6: Maris or something?
17: It's Marquis. It's called. Okay. It's we grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a main a main crop variety. Yeah. So it does. It does it has a very nice fry colour so it has a a high dry matter so you've kind of a fluffy inside and a crispy outside then if you know what
6: I mean. Oh, there's nothing nicer than a chip you cut yourself. No. no, Nothing nicer than a chip you cut yourself. Definitely not. not. All right, John. Thanks very much. John Griffin of Griffin's Potatoes. He has me hungry for chips now, for for proper chips cut properly and fried properly. Not your frozen ones that come out of the bag and certainly not the abomination that goes into the oven. Do you know they' are not a chip they're a slice of spud that you stick in the oven. They will never be as long as two legs hang out on my backside. They will never be a chip the The proper cut chip, the one that you get about maybe five chips out of a large spud them big yolks they're a chip. Thanks John eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six actually staying with cooking and food and stuff. Sarah Butler joins me. Hi, Sarah. How are you?
18: How are you, PJ?
6: Good. Now, you started doing cooking on Instagram during the pandemic because you were out of work and it's taken off for you.
18: It has, PJ. I was a graphic designer for 17 years, self-employed, and I specialised in wedding stationery. So that just stopped um, back in March 2020. So after about six months of scratching my head, uh, I always loved loved cooking and baking. I just posted a picture of a a cake I made and people showed an interest and it really just went from there. So it flew up and I was busy making things every day, very simply showing how it's made, very simply. And um, I got 10,000 followers in about three months. And when I hit 10,000, I got hacked and lost on the night on the night I hit 10,000 I got hacked so I lost everything so we had to start again from scratch uh, with three followers the very next day and that grew to I think it was 16,500 within 24 hours and where'd you you learn to cook I always loved cook. We're big foodies. My parents were both great cooks and bakers, and it was always food. It was what's for lunch at breakfast and what's for tea at lunch. What are we having for tea? My father was a butcher for a generation, and um, so it was always food. Always loved it.
6: Yeah. So, what's your particular favourite thing to do with spuds? <laughs> Now that we're on the day.
18: With spuds. Well, that's it. There, there has to be spuds, I think, in every Irish house. It's not a dinner without the spuds. So there's loads you can do. You know, you have your mash. You can make your chips, as you were talking about. But you can also add herbs or spices, do wedges. If you're making your, your mash, me- have a little bit of milk and butter. Melt that and use a whisk to whisk that up and make lovely fluffy spuds. So there's loads <sighs> you can do. We love spuds in this house.
6: What's impressive about your your Insta is that the recipes are very simple ones that a clown like me can follow and also very easy for a busy family to follow and not particularly expensive either.
18: No, that's that's what it's all about. Look, at we're busy here. We're both self-employed, two kids. So that's the problem. People don't have the time to come home in the evening and spend an hour and a half and realise halfway through they don't have certain ingredients. So it's very much about good, wholesome food that's easy to make, but it's the method of doing it, little tips and tricks along the way. Um, So, yeah, just keep it simple Mm -hmm. and, you know, keep away from the jars and the packets. You can make it all yourself at home with little ingredients. So that's what the book is all about.
6: You're big on weekly meal plans.
18: Yes, um, we, we all go shopping and throw everything into the basket and come home and end up dumping a load of food because you, you just don't know come Wednesday what you plan to make. So I always say to people, try and make a plan, write your seven dinners out, do your shop. Don't shop hungry because you'll buy a load of stuff you don't need um, and stick to that plan. Stick it up in your kitchen so you can see come Thursday what you had planned and you're going to use all that food and reuse leftovers for lunch, for sandwiches. Um, so, yeah, by being a little bit more organised, you can really reduce your food waste and have a plan and eat well for less.
6: On food waste. Now, there's a the thing. We We got one of these little caddies last year and we've gotten used to using it. And what I've noticed is that the bin that the food waste used to go into isn't half the weight it was. We throw out an yeah. awful lot of, of, of food.
18: Absolutely. And and we've all done it. We all do it. We're we're so busy. It's running and do the shop quick and throwing everything into the basket, you know. But if you just think about it, okay, I've got I've made a homemade ham there. Get one big enough. So you have loads of leftovers. So you have your your bacon and your cabbage on your Monday and you have a load of ham left over there for sandwiches during the week or for a quiche or for volivans. The same goes with chicken. I always say to people on a Sunday. Cook two chickens in a ham and you have loads of meat there you know you you buy the stuff for the salads you have that in your fridge use that in your sandwiches or Mm. to make up you know something the next day and and you really do find that you have so much less food waste um and, and it does make you feel great at the end of the week when you're not dumping a load of stuff you know
6: you have a book coming out sarah
18: yes um I I took a notion. Well, it was really down to my followers. They were asking me and asking me, will you do a book? Because all my videos are on video and it's hard for people to be in the kitchen with kids running around to listen to me. What did you say to do next? So I, I took the notion back in March this year and I started it. So with the great help of my publisher's book hub in Galway. We finally got there and we're getting them back now next week. So I have pre-order on that on my website, sarahbutlerathome.com and they're flying out. So I'm absolutely thrilled and I designed it all myself. So it's, yeah. it's my baby.
6: <laughs> yeah, of course you had that advantage that you the, the design was second the nature design. to you.
18: Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. all worked very well, but it's it's full of practical recipes. There's yeah. nothing in there that's crazy, you know. We all buy cookbooks where you might cook one recipe out of it, and then you're going, sure, I don't have, I don't have lemongrass, or I don't have pomegranate seeds, or whatever. Yeah. So it's very real life food, you know.
12: I
6: like that real real life yeah. food, good ordinary yeah. grub. The website good again is good. Sarah.
18: SarahButlerAtHome.com. Okay,
6: okay, and and can we any plans of going back to the day job, or is this the day job now?
18: I am so busy with this and working with brilliant brands. The, the brands that I've been working with have been so good to me from the very beginning. So I would love to keep going with this. I, I loved the invitations, but I, I, if I had a clone in a machine now, PJ, that would be the ideal situation. Yeah, but I have good. to focus on one thing. So it's, it's all good and I'm loving it.
6: Would this ever have happened if it wasn't for lockdown?
18: Absolutely not. No, it's it's, it's the, the strangest strangest 11 months. Uh, it's not even a full year since I posted that first picture. Um, it's funny how things turn out, and people are great. You know, they're a great support um, mm. to me and the page. So it's pure mad. It's pure <laughs> mad, but we'll keep going with. You're,
6: it. Enjo- <laughs> You're enjoying every minute of it, though, and, and delighted for you. Sarah, Sarah Butler.
12: Can we just talk?
6: Opinion line on Cork's 96
2: FM
3: with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Let's get down, let's
12: get down to business.
1: We're back to the music.
12: The
2: Cork's 96 FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now.
3: 96FM.ie now. Just
2: like this.
3: Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro just-eat voucher. The
2: power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join
3: the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or
2: see 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The opinion line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715
3: 996
6: on Cork's 96 FM. Now, we're looking for a dish, a potato dish that is unique to Cork. And I do remember the name of this, Jan. Uh, pandy. Uh, pandy. Mashed potato, right? With thyme and onion and melted butter and some warm milk. And salt and white pepper. Mix the whole lot up in a bowl, stick it in the oven, and when the top is crisp. Yeah, I've heard of Pandy. I'm getting a look through the window, as to, uh, she's never heard of it. She's shaking her head. 1850, 715 996. If are heading through Charleville, look out for a beautiful piece of sculpture. It's like a cube on its side. Gorgeous thing. And it goes by the name of metal, which is a word that we used here all the time at the very start of the pandemic, when everybody was coming together and doing stuff for one another. It was before we started fighting about stupid things. People were doing stuff like collecting bits of groceries for people and leaving them at the end of the driveway because so so and so up the road was cocooning. And it was the old sense of community, mehel. And, and that's the name, that's the inspiration behind this. Ethna Ring, good morning to you. She's there. Pandy. What's that, Ethna? Sorry you're, that. Ma-
4: you're making me hungry there with the pandy.
6: Do you remember it?
4: I do. Well, yeah. My my husband, Liam, who also works with me, uh, his mother used to make it all the time. I see. really ca- Great comfort food.
6: (laughs) Yourself and Liam have put this beautiful piece of work together. What was the inspiration for it?
4: Well, it was, as you said, it was to do with the uh, spirit of cooperation. So we wanted to do something very, very simple, but then that you could view on different levels. So the easiest thing was everybody, um, you know, there was lots of packages. There was kindness. There was, um, you know, the community spirit. So we wanted to, to, to put it all into one simple shape. So the idea of the box um, was what we came up with first. And then we decided, like, you would look at it, you would see this box uh, slightly on its side on a block of limestone. But then when you looked at it closer, there's other images. There's images of hands, um, there's four hands clasped in unity. It's almost like a Bridget's Cross. Yeah. Yeah. Loved hands. And then when you look at it further, you can see cogs And that was sort of the call to action, Uh, the different volunteer groups that got together um, to organize people um, and including all the services, the guardy, you know, the hospital, everything, you know. So it really covers everybody that did anything to help anyone. And then when you look at it a little bit closer, then inside in the COGS, you've got little, um, we'll say little stories Uh, small little snapshots of what people did you've somebody storing a big pot you've somebody shopping for somebody they've a list in their hand you've got library services packing books into boxes so it's that whole idea so like you can see it from a distance you see the box you get closer then and you can go down into the nitty-gritty into the details
6: Mm -hmm. how was it put together what's it made of
4: uh, the the top three faces, it's like a cube, so the top three faces are made of cast uh, bronze um, and then underneath then, actually the under part then, has um, the COVID-19 uh, virus and they kind of echo the shape of the cogs. Now they're made of um, etched um, gilding metal, which is kind of like a sheet bronze
12: okay. and
4: then it's put together, then it's it's bolted together and there's a frame inside it. And then it sits on monster red limestone. So actually, we used all our techniques, all the different techniques. Um, the etched, uh, etched gilding metal would be a technique that people that do etching, that do printmaking, they would use that right. uh, for printing. So we've, we've, absolutely, we've used every skill that we've ever learned along our way, you know.
6: Yeah, you know, it's beautiful. The, the, the pictures I've seen of it are, are, are gorgeous. How long did it take to put it together?
4: We were really a few months working on it on and off, you know. Um, um, so it's, it's very hard to quantify how much time went into it, mm. um, you know. So uh, you might spend, there was days working on, you know, the detail took, took weeks, we'll say really. But, you know, just you couldn't, you couldn't spend 10 hours doing it. Sure. So sure. We, we, we've just, you know, worked on it over the last few months. You, um,
6: you got, you got um, council funding, I believe.
4: We did, yeah. It was the it was the initiative of um, Ian Doyle, a councillor. He was mayor, I think. In I'd say at the start of the pandemic, um, I'm sure he didn't expect uh, things to be still the way they are. I know things have improved now, but I, you know,
19: mm.
4: I think he came up with the idea during the first lockdown. Mm. But uh, so it was yeah, it was he who organised it. It was an open competition, so it was open to anyone in the the county, you know, the Cork county. Uh, to apply for it,
6: do you know when, so, when when you see something like that there now just installed in Charleville? What I think of is maybe in fifty years. Um, when I won't be here and you probably
12: yeah, exactly. you, you, you probably it's will a be I, don't I, I
4: doubt it <laughs> no 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 I've got the years on me as well no it's um, yeah I think it's it, it's, it's, it's almost like um, a snapshot in history you know yeah.
12: people, you're,
6: people you're will come and story. look at it and some yeah. tour, some tourist guide will, will stand over it and say well this is what happened during do you remember the famous pa- a, a, a,
12: exactly, a, exactly a
6: group of school children do you remember the pandemic that you read about in your history books
4: exactly hopefully and hopefully the they won't even be interested because it won't have that long-lasting impression on them, except that they'll enjoy the looking mm. at the piece, you know. They'll read about it like, um, they'll
6: read about it like we did yeah, about 1918. Yeah.
4: exactly, yeah. And I think it's kind of quite timely now because, as you said um, in your introduction, that there is a little bit of kind of disquiet um, around at the moment. And yeah. I think this is actually for everyone. It's very, very positive. Yeah. Um, when all the whatever they're going to do to, you know, um, as a as a gesture towards the people that worked, you know, during the COVID times. Um, I think the, if the money will be spent, you know what I mean? That like, say, this will be something that will be long lasting yeah. and it's for everyone. So yeah. I think, you know, I look, I look forward
6: to a closer look the next time I'm traveling through Charleville. Thank you very much. Uh, that's uh, Ethna Ring. Uh, herself and her husband Liam Lavery put that beautiful piece of work called Mehel together and it is now on display in Charleville. Ian Doyle was amazing, says a call. He did great things for the civic life of Charleville particularly for those with disabilities. Do you know what I'm going to do if I'm going to take a break and then I'm going to clear some of the held over comments to do with the organ retention because we've got them since early on and some of them are very very uh, comprehensive comments so I want to do that next.
12: Can we
3: just talk?
6: The opinion line on Corks 96 FM
3: with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. Cmig.ie. Can we just talk?
12: The
2: opinion line with PJ Coogan.
3: Text or WhatsApp now. Oe three three ninety six ninety six ninety six
6: on Corks 96 FM. Now we did listen back to what was in the dial. Uh, earlier on this morning talking to Pat Buckley of Sinn Féin who contributed to the dull debate last night and in particular I want to replay one more time this clip of what Stephen Donnelly said
9: The HSE standards for post-mortem examination services which were published in 2012 uh, clearly require that organs are to be buried or cremated Furthermore Cork University Hospital has advised that its own policy clearly states that all perinatal organs where the parent's choice is for disposal by the hospital are to be buried. That did not occur. Instead, the organs were transported to Belgium for incineration. This was not in accordance with HSE standards, and it was not in accordance with hospital policy, and it is not acceptable.
6: And what I've been saying, and other people are saying, not just me, is that we need to find out who it was who sanctioned that act that was against so many things. It took rules and regulations and guidelines and just shredded them, cast them to the four winds and cast those baby's organs off to Antwerp in Belgium to be treated as clinical waste. In other words, those organs, those little baby's organs, beautiful little Lee's baby's brain, was burnt... With bandages, with needles, with other stuff that came out of labs, clinical waste, that's what it was treated as. And someone agreed to that, someone signed off on that, someone paid for that, someone brought that up at a meeting. And I know that a lot of people will not be happy until we know who that someone is and that they are no longer in a job caller wants to thank us for staying with it because it could easily have been a one night wonder I hope it doesn't end up like the redress scheme or one of the other political footballs, people calling for the resignation of Paul Reid, we had a few of those, then this other excellent comment which said, and I'm reading it again, anybody working for the government with few exceptions do not know the meaning of governance they know all about government but not about governance It speaks very much for itself Many, many scandals and nothing was done about it. We have a culture in this country of politicians not taking responsibility. There'll be no change and you're naive if you think there will be. Bernie says, please don't give up. Fire them all. Everyone who was involved. We're not learning anything in this country. There's mistake after mistake and no one is ever held accountable. A lot of people talking about why heads are not rolling or if there's any accountability. It's my understanding that when the HSE was created, in order to get it pushed through, an agreement was made that it's was very hard for anyone to lose their job. That was the price that was paid to get it done. I've often heard that said, caller, and it is very, very difficult to shift anybody from a nice, warm seat in HSE. It is. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. No doubt about that whatsoever. Whether there was ever an agreement... Years ago, when they set it up, I don't know, but it is. It's you'd 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 move Caron Tool three feet to the left faster than you'd shift anybody out of out of their warm seats in HSE. PJ, 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 your indignation regarding the incineration scandal is refreshing, but you know this is Ireland. It'll be written off as a system's failure. Copious apologies are being pumped out like foam at an oil spill. Hand wringing will follow. But we don't do accountability here. Sure, if we did, where would it stop? Pillars of the community might have to forgo packages and pensions. Great to hear you're not letting it go, but I hope you're in for the long haul, says Ted. Ted, thank you. I probably am piddling into the wind. I I probably am howling at the moon. I probably am hoping for something that won't happen. But I'm going to keep doing that, and I'll tell you why, Ted, Uh, I will tell you why I've mentioned his name a couple of times in the course of the last few days. Um, He was a, a good friend of Fergal's. I knew him to see and to talk to and to chat with. And sometimes when I met him, he was very upset. And sometimes when I spoke to him, he was in tears talking about what had happened in his own case. So I will keep pushing this and pushing this and pushing this and pushing this as far as I possibly can, for Donny, This one's for Dhoni. We'll push this as far as we can, and we'll demand to know who signed off on it for Donny. Now, also in a week where we've learned that uh, figures out today show that CUH had its worst ever September for overcrowding, a total of 1,094, 1,100. 1,100 people on trolleys in CUH during September, the highest figure for any hospital in the country during the month of September. All of this stuff we will put to a studio guest. We're, we're allowed to have them back now, which is great. Uh, Sinn Féin's health spokesman, David Cullinan, will be a studio guest with me on Monday. And we'll be asking him about the baby organ retention scandal and the CUH overcrowding. The cabinet is also meeting at Cork Monday. We have put in for a request for either the Taoiseach or the Minister for Health, Minister Donnelly, to uh, be made available to us on Monday. There's a meeting here in town. So we have asked to speak to Stephen Donnelly and we have asked to speak to the Taoiseach. Uh, whether or not either one of them will be made available to us, we know not just yet. But David Cullinan will be here with me on Monday morning. But as I said, uh, we will not be letting this one go uh, for Donny New project on the way to tackle, our new campaign to tackle racism uh, among gay, bisexual and transgender men. Uh, Quite a number of activists getting involved in this because it is a problem uh, that those of us who, you know, we're not in any of those categories, we don't see. And it it behoves of us to learn and to help others to teach us or to ask others to teach us. Thomas Heising, I hope I have the name right, Thomas, good morning to you.
20: Good morning, you have the name correctly there. Good,
6: good. Thomas, you know, there would be racism among gay, bisexual and transgender community, but, you know, when you're not in the community, you you don't see it, so teach me. No.
20: Yeah, absolutely. No, it is true. There is, um, It kind of feeds into the wider society, actually. So some forms of racism are present in Ireland, and some of the things that we experience in Ireland is this thing of hearing people saying, oh, Irish people are not racist. Do you know, So for instance, at a party, and there was a guy who very overtly said, oh, Irish people are not racist, only against travellers, which is an unfortunate statement in itself, but it's also wrong because... If you ask people of color who are Irish or are living in Ireland, there is still racism going on. And the negation or the denying of that is still very harmful. Specifically in the gay community, it manifests as a secondary positioning. It's making um, people of color feel secondary or be secondary. So Ireland has fought a lot, have come a a long way. we in the Western world have come a long way with championing and promoting the rights of um, the gay community, the queer community as a whole um but there are also people we should celebrate those things of course but Mm -hmm. there are also people who are left behind who are not being seen as equal in the queer community in itself. And it is a weird thing, a marginalised community for the marginalising. I know that can yeah. be a little bit
6: of yeah, a brain no, no. It, it, Yeah, Yeah, Margin- <laughs> marginalisation within the marginalised. I've, I've come across yeah. it, I, I've read about it, um, and I've kind of yeah. said, right, that's, that's, that's something that needs to be, the rest of us need to learn about. Now, you're, you're Danish originally, I think, Thomas, and you're living in Cork yeah. for the last number of years. What's your own experience?
20: My own experience is actually quite positive here in Cork, I must say myself. It's funny because most people would think of Scandinavia as being very progressive and stuff like that, but um, racism, xenophobia is very casualized in Denmark, for instance. So coming over to Cork, I felt a huge welcoming by, um, but I've been involved in many things here in Cork, with networking organizations, but also the queer community. I become I, I strive to be very visible as well, so it is that I can also represent, you know. So, But I also do find cases where racism does pop up and... Unfortunately, it's difficult to talk about it again because there's this assumption that it does not exist or there's a competitiveness to it. It's like we're not as bad as the UK and the US and that can sometimes shut it down. We don't get to improve on those problems that they are and we don't get to champion the people who are doing a lot of good work as well in these areas, for instance.
19: Mm. I remember
6: saying to a young woman who was on the phone to me here one morning in the wake of the George Floyd case, I said to her, "Do you know?" I said, "When I think of my friends and my circle Mm. uh, that I would see all the time, I wouldn't Mm. perceive much racist racism or racist intent within it." And her answer was very interesting. Mm. She said, "Yes," she said, "because that's your circle. You're not going to come with me, and I'll show it to you."
20: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's one of those things, for instance, the queer communities, like specifically. So we all kind of, when you think of the queer community or the LGBT movement, we think of uh, white gay men and women who are who have achieved a lot, for instance, marriage equality, who are seen as more equal workplaces and schools and society. But we kind of see, for instance, we don't get to experience these lived experiences of, even I'm kind of not only talking people of color or, tra- or travelers, but also trans people, g- non- gender non-conforming people, it's like those people seem a secondary, almost as if at all, all these things are just part of that, you know, woke political correctness movement that also these like snowflakes, you know, we often get accused of being that just because we're speaking up of our rights, or just because we're addressing the racism that we face, whereas it's actually very taxing, constantly having to recurringly have to defend or have to point out what is going on. And exactly as you said, if you only do have white male friends, for instance, either gay or straight, you will not get to see the lived reality or you will not get to see how much and how taxing discrimination can be.
6: Mm-hmm. And look, I mean, what, I'm, what I meant by that is, Thomas, like in my long life or re- relatively long life anyway, I would have had many friends from many different Marginalised mm. communities. Uh, I would have a, quite a number of gay people over the years that I would have counted as friends. A uh, number of people of colour that I would have counted as friends. Particularly mm. in my in my youth, actually. Question quite amount. I would never have seen this marginalisation because a it would never enter my head. But b mm. I don't walk home with them. I mm. don't see. I yeah. don't. You know. I I see them for the couple of hours we're watching a game together or something. I don't. I don't see it. We're playing pool. I don't see it. Because,
20: you know. And it's only because, like, so I'm working on a cross-source project here, specifically also for the Gay Project, which uh, Proud AF campaign is also part of. And I've been interviewing a lot of people of color who are queer here in Cork and been asking them about their experiences. And it's a very diverse range of lived experiences for instance if you have middle eastern background or if you're muslim and have north african background the experiences of racism discrimination is much more regular for instance than i would feel like i would be what you call afro-european like i have african heritage from zambia so i'll be brown have bl- black curly hair so in that sense i look different but inside you know i'll be as european as as, as humanly possible you know so for me it's this thing of just having my visible appearance but for um, being pointed out, but for a lot of people, it's not only that, it's their specific heritage, it's the way that they speak, it's the way that they're culturally presenting. And it can, of course, be this thing of just not knowing how to navigate with people from other places with different backgrounds. But when you look at the forms of discrimination happening, and that's what we're trying to pull out we're trying to pull out these cases and say, not to say, oh, look how sad it is. But I'd say, look how destructive discrimination is and how it actually undermines the solidarity and the efforts in society that we're trying to make.
6: One thing I've learned to do, and in the course of this job, I guess you, you kind of have to anyway, but one thing I've learned to do is to ask people like you and others, teach me. Teach me what I'm missing. Yeah, and I think the rest, of us, the rest of us should try to do that too. Where can we find more out more about Proud AF, hashtag Proud AF?
20: so there's a work in progress website on the gay projects website so gayproject.ie which is the local lgbt plus community uh, center here in cork you are also welcome to reach out directly to me if you have any questions or anyone to help me with my research thomas at gayproject.ie i'd be happy to have help anyone from the wider community answer any questions from the wider community from the queer community specifically or from other people of color um queer or non-queer here in Cork, for instance or abroad
6: all right, listen, good luck with the project. Thank you very much. That's Thomas Heising, originally from Dern- Denmark, living in Cork last number of years. Uh, pr- hashtag proud AF. Let's learn about what people go through rather than deciding that we know is probably the best thing to do. 1850-715-996. Now, up in St. Mary's Primary Care Centre, there was a lovely concert yesterday. It was kind of a celebration of the fact that we can do this again. It was a community concert and the first musical gathering for the Mayfield Men's Shed. Such a wonderful organisation, the Men's Shed. And also the Michael Has Band. Uh, it was the first time in nearly two years that they got together. Uh, Mauraid was there and she sent us a package to hear what it was like for the opinion line.
21: When we meet, we just play whatever anybody wants to play themselves, so we do have a mixture of Irish, traditional, we have a, this is a bit of jazz, this is a bit of everything, you know. It's just a bit of fun for a lot of guys and the girls. We have one girl in the group at the moment, so we're not uh, targeting ourselves as a men's group. We are just a group, so we do encourage females to come in. That is brilliant.
0: And I suppose it's been nice to be all
7: together as well after what's been a really tough 18 months for
21: everyone. Well, what we did was, um, when we couldn't rehearse together, I set up a Zoom on my own laptop and um, I gave all the lads the codes for the coordinates for it. And we all, a bunch of us met every Thursday, and we played some bits of music, but it wasn't easy because some of the lads were using laptops and some were using phones and there was slight time sinks. But we also, I also set up a, an app on the phones and lads recorded individual pieces and played them. And then we just got together every Thursday and had a chat and discussed them. And that kept us going until we got to get back into Kerrigan Hall, which was kind of maybe two, three weeks ago.
22: So my name is Joanne McNamara and I'm a community worker in the Cork North Community Work Department in the HSE. Today's event is a community music at lunchtime event in St Mary's Health Campus and it's to mark the end of a month long, a health uh, month of activities that were organised by the eight community health workers that we have across all of the north side of Cork City and we also have projects in Yall, in Mallow and in Fermoy. So it's to mark the end of that month and to celebrate community music and get people active and get people connected. And now there's two different bands playing here today The second one are just setting up But tell me a bit about the has Band. So Martin's music, has Band, standing for Health Action Zone Were established by a colleague of ours, Martin Horn, uh, A number of years back And they have grown in size um, And our colleague passed away unfortunately during Covid And we weren't able to mark his passing So the band, uh, the, the, the event here today and the band being here Has special meaning for his family, his friends who are here With our work department as well um, also, we have the Mayfield Men's Shed Choir, which are a huge group again based in Mayfield, um, and they have sung everywhere from the Mercy Hospital to Heather House here. They're amazing support to the community sector, to the, the healthcare sector as well, um, and they're going to be coming on here
19: now shortly. John O'Maney. I'm the chairman of the Mayfield Men's Shed we were delighted actually to be asked to sing here you know it's this is our first time in nearly two years singing believe it or not we were out and uh, up to that so um, you know it was hard for us to come back as well with all the men and all that like you know and uh, so it is, it is it is very good like and uh, we were delighted to do it first
0: performance
19: back out is there plans now for a few more in the coming weeks <laughs> well I mean we, we will have an not a couple like I mean, you consider last Last well not last Christmas the Christmas before which was our last Christmas singing uh, we sang at 18 concerts in one in one uh, in one month 18 concerts so you can imagine (laughs) and
0: then to to last year and it was
19: just so different so different so
0: hopefully fingers crossed for this Christmas now it is
19: and it's been hard it's been hard on the men you know because uh, some of them have nobody at home and uh, it's a lonely time for them and uh, it's you know we all felt it we all felt it be
0: back meeting in person now as well
19: we're not really because uh, the space that we had for going back we've lost you know unfortunately we're trying to get a new space now at the moment with the HSC and uh, one of the local bears really are giving us a space on Tuesday mornings to, to meet and uh, do a bit of practice but we're not back to normal yes so we're, we're trying to get a new space we have a new shed bought and everything but we have nowhere to put it unfortunately and it's And and it's tough, and and the men are finding it tough, you know, because uh, uh, we were all good friends, and they still are good friends. (laughs) We're not meeting very often, and it's hard.
6: Men's Shed is a fabulous organisation. Thanks to Maureen for that. 1850-715-996. Briefly and lastly today, big excitement at the Opera House in the next couple couple of days because the opening night, October 5th, Tuesday of Philadelphia, Here I Come. Big stage production, the first stage production at the Opera House since before the pandemic. They had open auditions a number of weeks ago, and they're going to stage Monday night or Tuesday night. Big excitement. Jeff Gould is the director. Jeff, good morning.
14: Hello, PJ. How are you doing? Good
6: With morning, Jeff. Huge excitement for for Tuesday.
9: Ah,
14: yeah. I mean, very much so because um, we haven't been on a stage in two years, and and for us the stage is, you know, it's it's all, all Ireland, like it's very important for us and uh, a chance to, to shine and perform and, and show the talent that the 14 lads have and the brilliance of Brian Freed's writing. Yeah,
6: and of course it's one of our classic pieces as well so, you know, there's a huge responsibility in taking something like that on
14: well there is because it's like everything else in the story you know it would be like doing a film with the sound of music now so you'd never get it right you know they'd be saying ah oh, no it wasn't as good as the original at all you know so so we, we had a brilliant production in 91 in Cork so our aim is to, is to to outdo that production to be honest to Peter. that's always going to be the aim so yeah classic like it everybody knows it yeah. has to be done brilliantly in Cork or you go down in flames
6: yeah. <laughs> and you recruited you locally like. and you auditioned locally and one of the young men stayed there Jeff one of the young men who got through Oscar Smith Oscar good Morning, Oscar is there? Hi, hiya, hiya. Hello. Student from Ashton, got yourself a part in Philadelphia here. Right, were You nervous over the weekend now?
17: I was, yeah, yeah. When I was auditioning, it was very nerve-wracking because I didn't know there's. And when I came into the rehearsal room, there's such a star of the cast, and was my nerves are up. And this is my first professional production, right? Um, and it's great to be part of like such a big thing in Cork as well.
6: Yeah, You're very young to get a big part in a show like this. Uh, um, Are you acting since you were a kid?
17: Yeah, I started acting when I was about 12, I'd say, and then started doing stage schools and, you know, the usual in Cork. And then I decided I don't want to take this seriously and do it after school.
6: Yeah. Who's your favourite actor in the whole wide world? Or have you got one?
17: I would like to say Killian Murphy. I think because he's from Cork. Yeah. And it kind
6: of gives me a bit of hope. <laughs> uh, listen, you know what? When we're producing them of that quality, you might only be following in his footsteps one day soon. Good luck know, yeah. with the production. Break a leg, as they say. Not, not literally, metaphorically, on Tuesday <laughs> night. Have a good production, Oscar. Jeff, have a great... How long is it running for?
14: two weeks it runs until the 16th of October so there's plenty of time to get there and there's a number of matinees as well okay. so it's well worth seeing yeah, not to be, be missed
6: um, it'll be great to get back into the theatre for,
14: for some, some performances so best of luck oh, but, to yeah I mean even from the audience's point of view to get yeah. back out again and, exactly. and share an experience is, is really important rather than sit and watch and, and then on your own
6: there you go alright listen good luck with it the whole cast of Philadelphia Here I Come opening at Cork Opera House Tuesday October the 5th and good luck to everyone I'm going to get along to see that. I'm so looking forward to going back to watch a play in a theatre. It's, it's been so long. Whew, what a week! What a busy week! I'm going for a bowl of spuds to replenish my energy. <laughs> and I'm going to see James Bond on Sunday. And whatever you do for the weekend, enjoy. programme edited by Fiona and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we'll see you Monday just after nine. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With
3: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. See MIG.ie. Subtle results.
0: Still you